Ever heard of the lipstick index? It was a term coined by Estee Lauder during the recession of 2001. Lipstick sales went way up after 9-11. Women were looking for a way to treat themselves. And since they couldn't afford new shoes, handbag, or dress, then lipstick would have to do. Especially a bright shade that made people notice them as they walked by. It was their way of making themselves feel better. Now it changed during our most recent pandemic because no one could see your lips. Instead of lipstick, women bought nail polish and eyeliner. If people couldn't see your lips, except for that stain around the face mask, they would notice your eyes or your nails. For those of us who aren't into nail polish or eyeliner, there are those wrecks of candy bars right at the checkout stand, each one crying out, you deserve a treat. We will always find a way to make ourselves feel a little better. Now I want to apply this to the gospel. When things are dark and challenging, when things are spiritually just unknown, when you're trying to figure out why things are the way they are and how they could possibly make sense, what makes you feel better? If I could put an entire rack of feel better things right by the narthex door so that as you left church, you could grab one so that all the way home you would know that you're loved and forgiven, that you're a unique and unreproducible miracle of God. What would it be? What can I stock up on so that you know just how precious you are? Matthew's gospel makes it clear that when Jesus hears that John has been beheaded, he leaves the crowds behind, gets in a boat, sails to the other side of the lake. I know Mark says it in our text today, but Matthew actually connects the two and says that one is the reason for the other. Jesus' intention was to regroup, spend time resting and praying. I mean, it says right there, they hadn't even had time to eat. See, something we forget just because he's God and he's got inside information as to what John might be doing in heaven and how great the angels and archangels and all the company are doing to take care of him, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't hurting physically and emotionally. Book of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses. We have one who was tempted in all the ways we are and yet without sin. He wasn't just tempted in the same way we were. He experienced all the same emotions that we do. Jesus knows what it's like to feel hurt and loss. Now, I don't know how long it took him to sail to the other side of the lake, but it wasn't fast enough because once they saw where he was going, the crowd ran around and they were waiting with for him on the other side of the lake. Now, you wouldn't blame him when he stepped out of the boat if he had just told everybody to go away. I mean, John, the one who was to prepare, prepare the way for the Lord, he's been murdered. Things are getting tough. Can't they leave him alone just for a few hours? But instead, St. Mark says, Jesus looked at the crowd and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And when it says he had compassion on them, it wasn't like, oh, look at the cute little lost sheep. But rather, it was like, I know, I know you don't feel like anybody loves you. You don't feel like anybody understands you. The darkness is closing in. You're beginning to wonder if there's hope. I'm not going to let you alone. I'm not, I'm not going to let you leave this place without knowing how precious you are to God. You see, this kind of compassion starts in the soul, the soul, and it works its way out with passion. Now, Jesus isn't the only one hurting. See, John wasn't just some guy. He was a highly respected prophet, and he was loved by the people. They all had lost someone they cared about. Now, Jesus was the connection between John and the crowd, 
but John was the connection between the crowd and the crowd. John gave these people a glimmer of hope as he stood up to the religious and the Roman leaders. Remember last week's gospel? Even King Herod thought that Jesus was John reincarnated. In other words, that's how impressive John was in everybody's mind. Until he was arrested, John was actually more popular than Jesus. But it was John who said, I got to decrease, he has to increase. Death has a way of making that happen once people get over the hero worship. The crowd knew there was a connection between John and Jesus, and so they were following Jesus, hoping that he might be able to make them feel better. You know, 50 years ago, we measured the success of a church by two things. First, how many people were in the pews on Sunday, and second, how much money was in the offering plates. There were a few gospel, radio, and TV shows, but most everyone who went to church sat in a pew in a location on a Sunday morning. This was already changing before COVID, though, with in-person attendance dropping over 15% between 1950 and 1980 and a continual slide since 1980. COVID, it just sped things up. In other words, COVID didn't change things so much as acting as a catalyst to push things a little faster. When COVID is over, the church will most likely see a 10 to 20% loss of in-person worshipers, individuals and families who aren't going to come back except maybe at Christmas, Easter, and for vacation Bible experience. 30 years ago, we were told if we wanted our Sunday attendance to grow, we needed to add a midweek service for all those people who either have other things to do on Sunday, like soccer and baseball and work. Most churches, by the way, they responded with, you know what, Sunday is the day you worship, other days don't count. Our Seventh-day Adventist friends down the road, they, they said, Saturday is the day you worship, no other day counts. Following in a modified theology of Kevin Costner, the church said, if we build it, you have to come on Sunday mornings. In March of 2020, we were told if we wanted to have worship, any kind of worship, it could not take place inside a church. Overnight, churches started live streaming, pre-recording worship, offering drive-in worship with the pastor standing up on the roof. And with the exception of the drive-in thing, it meant that people could go to church at any day, any hour, wherever they were. The Advent passage from the prophet Isaiah, this is where God says, look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it's coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and I'll put rivers in the middle of the desert. So what's the purpose of the church? Well, it's to bring you into the presence of God, not just for an hour or so on Sunday mornings, but your whole life. Worship is the primary way that happens. But Bible study, Sunday school, fellowship, counseling, special events, they all play a role in it. So why do you need to be brought into the presence of God? Because He is the only one who can save you. And while the primary and most important way God saves you is for eternity through the cross and the empty tomb, there are other ways that to a lesser degree God saves you in the here and now. He saves you from things like grief and pain, lostness, doubt, and fear. We've learned a few things about grief and fear over the past year. If Jesus' boat docked down here at the McGrew Point Marina and we were standing there, I'm pretty sure that he would have compassion on us because, well, it's obvious there are things out of our control that have made us sheep without a shepherd. As we sat in our homes and heard about what was happening down the street and on the mainland and around the world, we witnessed our fragile social structure coming apart at the seams. Much of what we took pride and comfort in much of what we thought of as our strength. It was taken away in an instant. 
Now, nobody got beheaded that I know of, but everything, and I mean everything, had changed in such a way, by the way, that it had a big close sign on it, closed because of COVID. And even though we we're making our way out of the pandemic, I don't know about you, but there's still this wonky feeling about life and the world. When you get bad news, when things don't go the way you want, what do you do to feel better? What is your lipstick index that helps you look marvelous on the outside, even though inside you're a mess? 2,000 years ago, that crowd met Jesus on the other shore. It was a pandemic of a different kind, a pandemic of sin and of a church and a nation and a world that didn't care about that crowd. Darkness was brooding everywhere, and those in power had picked up some sunglasses so that they could look and feel really cool, which is why they didn't notice how bad the darkness was outside, because it was dark everywhere to them. The people on that shoreline weren't just sheep without a shepherd. They were a humanity without hope. Stumbling in the darkness, bumping into things and other people, realizing that everybody was just as lost, and they had no idea how to get found. Standing on the shoreline of the Jordan River, they caught a glimpse of light, a tiny ray. But the darkness was so dark, this tiny ray seemed brighter than the sun. His name was John. And even though he started every sentence with repent, he was still full of light and love and hope and promise. And they watched as he preached and baptized. Just, just amazing was the hope that he began to instill within them. And when they thought everything was going to be okay, Herodias had John beheaded and the darkness returned. Now they remembered John saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and I got a decrease. He has to increase. And they knew that John had been pointing at Jesus. And so when John was imprisoned by King Herod, the crowd started following Jesus. And when the news broke about John, they were expecting Jesus to say something, to do something. But instead, Jesus got in a boat and he took off, leaving them behind. They decided to run to the other side. They knew he wanted to be alone. He had to process his grief. But right now, they were feeling too alone and too lost. And so they were there with that lost puppy look on their eyes when his boat came ashore. What's the craziest thing you've ever done when the whole world was crashing down and you needed something to make you feel better? Viktor Martinov paid $3,000 to charter a helicopter so that he could fly over and eat McDonald's. A 27-year-old man was arrested and could go to jail for two years and get fined up to $20,000 because he bought a plane ticket that he wasn't going to use just so he could wa walk his wife to the gate at the airport in Singapore and give her a kiss goodbye, which, as it turns out, is illegal in that country. Suddenly buying a tip, uh, tube of lipstick or nail polish or eating a Snickers. That doesn't sound so crazy, does it? If we are blessed, we have at least one person in our life who knows us so well that when everything is falling down around us, they show up and they say, come with me. And when we say, where to? They say, trust me. And we do. They take us where for just a moment life makes sense. Where a little healing can take place. Before we have to head back into the broken world, they let us just take a deep breath. Remember who we are. Remember that we're loved, that we're unique, that we're unreproducible. And after they know that we're ready, then they let us go back to whatever it is that we got to go back to. Jesus gets out of the boat, walks up a hill, tells everyone to sit down. By the way, this word is not a polite invitation. This is more like when you turn to your dog and you say, sit, Ubu, sit. Jesus brings order to the moment. 
For those who are traumatized, for those who are feeling lost, for those who followed the crowd because they didn't know what else to do, Jesus begins to preach the kingdom of God has come near. And when he's done preaching, he's not done loving. He has something in mind, but first the disciples need one of those dreaded teachable moments. Hungry, tired, depressed, anxious, the disciples say, look, it's late. We're done for the day, so send them away. Jesus says, but it's dinner time. The disciples respond, come on, there's got to be an ABC store around here. I mean, they're everywhere on like every corner, right? So let them go so that they can find something to eat, even if it's those hot dogs that have been rolling around on that grill for who knows how long. Jesus says, I want you to feed them. The disciples say, look, all we got is a couple of fish and five loaves of bread. And Jesus says, perfect. It's more than enough. Start cooking. The crowd is sitting on a hill in the middle of nowhere. They're still trying to digest Jesus' words. But the rumble of empty stomachs is very, very noticeable. And then suddenly, baskets of bread and fish miraculously appear. No racks of candy bars or rows of different colored lipstick or nail polish. No helicopters for charter, just Jesus. Always Jesus. Instead of them scrambling to find some little treat to make themselves feel better, Jesus treats them to a simple meal. In the midst of all the impossibilities and darkness comes a moment of comfort and love. I don't know how much the bread and fish did to make them feel better about what had happened to John and what was happening in their nation, in their church, in their community. Maybe Jesus threw in a little wine because that would be like Jesus. But as St. James said, You know, if a brother or sister is without clothes or lacks daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, keep warm, eat, and be well, but you don't give them what the body needs, well, what good is that? And so, Jesus. Jesus steps up. And all those people on the side of the green grass, notice Mark doesn't just say it's grass. He says it's green grass. Their bellies are full. And uh, that should have made them feel just a little bit better. There might actually be something to that Snickers commercial that says, when you're hungry, you're not yourself. When you came here, Jesus told you to be still and know that he's God. Whether you're at home, whether you're in your office, whether you're here in the sanctuary, he told you to be still and know that he's God. He told you to press pause on everything except the here and the now. In word and music and liturgy and silence, he spoke to you so you could start making sense of your life and your world. And we're going to be leaving here in just a few minutes, back to whatever is waiting for us. But before we go, Jesus wants to give us a little something so that we know we're loved, that our life matters, that we don't need to give up hope. For those that are here, in a few minutes, we're going to open up these tiny little red boxes. It's not the way Jesus did it, either in the upper room or out on that hillside, but cradled inside the plastic bag and the plastic cup or bread and wine that God somehow mysteriously turns into the body and the blood of Jesus. For just a second, we can be normal. Our masks off, the familiar taste of wine and bread and the presence of God holding us together instead of the world pulling us apart. While at times it may seem like all we have in common with the other people in worship is the hurt and the pain and the lostness of this world, thankfully that's not true. Jesus comes among us. He hands us a simple meal, bread and wine. He says, take and eat, take and drink. And in ways we do not understand, the sip of wine and the tiny wafer are multiplied into a feast of love. For a moment we're able to let everything else go 
and just be loved by God. He empties us of our sin and fills us up with himself and promises to go with us wherever we go, even to the ends of the earth. Lipstick and nail polish might make us look better on the outside, and a Snickers is always good in the tummy. But if we're still torn up inside, it's not good enough. Which is why Jesus starts with the inside and lets his mercy and his love and his forgiveness fill us up to overflowing. It's that overflowing part that's the key here. When St. Mark says Jesus was filled with compassion for the crowd, Pastor Frederick Beekner's definition of compassion is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you. Taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34 says. And as we eat such a simple meal and think about a crowd in mourning sitting on a hill a long time ago, we realize that it isn't the meal that really matters at all. The one thing we have in common is Jesus. He was there. He is here. And he always will be wherever we need him. And those baskets of leftovers, if nothing else, it says, everyone there was so stuffed they could need another bite. But I doubt Jesus let all those leftovers go to waste. I think there was a food bank somewhere that was well stocked for a few days. And our red box is more than we need. Much more than we need. Oh, I know, it's just a wafer and a tiny sip of wine. And as the love and mercy and grace of God overflow, just as Pastor Beekner said, there can be peace and joy, not just for me, but finally for you as well. For we are the family of God, held together by His love, and sent forth to care for one another. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.